0: Welcome to Frankly Speaking. This is a new podcast on responsible business by Frank Bold, the European public interest law firm. I'm Richard Howitt and after years of debating responsible business issues inside the European Parliament, I host our discussions of the latest political, legal and business developments in the field of corporate sustainability, business and human rights. We speak frankly and personally about what moves policymakers, business and activists to make responsible business the norm. Today, we're discussing carbon tariffs. For many years, there's been a debate about using trade powers to promote social and environmental goals. And this week in May 2023, we've seen what may be an historic moment in that debate, when the European Union's green tariff known as the Carbon Border Adjustment Mechanism or CBAM has come into legal force. One of its key advocates is Carbon Market Watch, an independent watchdog working on carbon pricing, carbon markets and climate action. And its lead on industrial decarbonisation is Agnese Ruggiero. And I'm delighted that Agnese is joining us to discuss all of this and to tell us who CBAM is good for business and good for the planet. Agnese, welcome. So frankly speaking.
1: Thank you very much, Richard, for inviting me.
0: You're very welcome. Now, uh, there'll be a lot of people involved in sustainability that won't have been following this in detail uh, and won't be a specialist in in this area of trade and, and environment. So let's just start off really simply to describe what is the carbon border adjustment mechanism, how it will work and why is it so important?
1: Yeah, very well. Um, the carbon border adjustment mechanism is a new regulation that was proposed in July 2021 by the European Commission as part of a wider package uh, called the Fit for 55, which is uh, climate and energy policy. And it's a regulation that requires companies to pay a carbon price on the emissions that are embedded in the products that they import in the EU uh, in the single market. So this is a way of addressing the emissions that are produced when products were making goods that are outside the EU and then they are then imported on the single market. And it it is indeed um, a way of monitoring, but also making more um, sensible and consensus choices on the products that we that we consume, not only that we produce in Europe, but that we also consume and import from abroad.
0: And essentially, importers have to buy certificates. Uh, and when products are imported from countries that don't meet the EU standards, they have to to uh, give up these certificates. So there's, there, there's a monetary value to that, which is supposed to provide an incentive to businesses and to countries to develop carbon-friendly manufacturing processes. Um, is it, do you think it will work? Are you a strong advocate of it?
1: Carbon Market Watch has started following this new regulation, not only because it is about carbon pricing, which is obviously the the focus of our organization, but also be um for a a very important element and change that could have triggered within European policy. As you know, the um, uh, European industries are subjected to the emissions trading system and under which they pay, or they're supposed to pay carbon price on the emissions that they produce in Europe when manufacturing products. Um, This um, system has, for a very long time had um, a, a flaw that's very a very big flaw because it doesn't but the carbon price is not always paid by the uh, industries on all their emissions but there are some of the allowances uh, under the system that are given for free um, with the introduction of cbam as the um, european commission uh, presented it the um, because um, the emissions from uh, imported products would be also priced then the free allowances the the plan was to phase out or even discontinue free allowances from from the get-go from the introduction of CBAM. so we've been supportive of this um of the CBAM because it would have had this impact on on european policy so the reduction of free allowances and and also because of the if it's effects on um trading partners and the positive effects that could have a to to, to begin with on monitoring the emissions because a, a country that knows what their emissions are it can also take steps in reducing them And a way of addressing also the emissions that we import in the products that we import. So, like I was saying before, the emissions that we consume. So, for all these reasons, we have been um, following and and also trying to uh, provide recommendations on the the design of the CBAL. And and, uh,
0: on that emissions trading scheme, ETS, it's had its strong critics, hasn't it? That not just the free allowances that were given out. And you can understand in the early days for heavy industry high emitters why there needed to be a, a transition. Uh, but nevertheless, there have been criticisms that those free allowances have persisted too long, but also that the overall price of carbon is too low and doesn't reflect the, the genuine price it should in order to meet climate goals and those free allowances that you talked about are going to be phased out, which you're welcoming, but not until I think 2034 um will they finally disappear. It's, is that not too late?
1: It is That's one. This was one of the most contentious and ultimately uh, possibly most disappointing element of the of the CBAN, uh and the agreement that was reached. Um, Twenty thirty four is a long time to still uh, have free allowances. Now uh, it has to be said that these will be phased out progressively, and it's probably. A good idea to have a progressive introduction, also of, of, of the CBAM, and um, as an alternative to free allowances, also of the CBAM as a new policy instruments uh, for the international, for our international trading partners. So some form of um, phasing in and phasing out may be a good idea, but it shouldn't have stretched until twenty thirty four. It and it, especially in view of the fact that both the CBAM regulation and the ETS directive will be reviewed before 2030. So these timelines could potentially be stretched even further um, down the line.
0: Or, um, or, sh- or, sh- or shrunk, maybe. Uh, or we'll, shrunk, we'll see. indeed. Indeed, we could fit, hope fit for fit the best. Fit for 55 was, of course, to try and meet Europe's um, aim to cut carbon emissions from 1990 levels by 50 55 by the year 2030 uh so we'll see if this tool in the tool bag is going to really assist uh, in achieving that now let, let's take next some of the criticisms of cbam itself um which have come um from free traders who say that this is a disguised Way of introducing European protectionism, just trying to to um, uh, help European based companies um, uh, at the expense of of uh, freer trade, uh, but also uh, for voices who are concerned about emerging markets and developing countries. And I know the carbon market, which is one of those. You've talked about the right to develop, but uh, th- is is that right to develop being respected uh, when it comes to these additional measures and the ability of developing countries and companies in developing countries to be able to meet them?
1: Well, I don't believe that essentially CBAM is a protectionist uh, type of regulation. Now, what we've advocated since the beginning and we still stand behind it is how um, the revenue that is um, raised from the sale of the CBAM certificates can be used and should be used. Um, addressing um, emissions that in the products that we produce in Europe, so having a price on the carbon emitted in Europe, is a good tool to incentivize decarbonisation. Equally, putting a price on the emissions that are produced when manufacturing products outside Europe is a good idea to incentivize decarbonization also in trading partners. Now, the countries that are less familiar with uh, monitoring, reporting and verification of emissions who have to take bigger steps in decarbonizing their industry should be helped, especially those that are still developing or least developed in, um countries. That's why we were asking at the beginning uh, when the the bomb was um Design to devolve, um, or dedicate some, uh, revenues from the, for example, from the, um, uh, sale of CBAM certificates to help these countries, both in the setup of the whole infrastructure that is needed to do the monitoring, reporting and verification on emissions to begin with. And then also to support their, um, action, climate action and, and, uh, industrial decarbonization, uh, steps. That's why we were quite almost um, shocked at the fact that the the revenue raised from the sale of CBAM certificates will largely go to repaying the debt that Europe has uh, accumulated through uh, the COVID crisis. Um, the good thing is that the European Parliament introduced a, um, a clause within the CBAM regulation that says that Europe should uh, at least uh, take steps and ensure that an equivalent amount to that of the sale of C one certificates should be put together in the European budget and dedicated to international climate action. But it is a bit thin as a commitment.
0: Well, we'll see if that happens. And of course, uh, the amounts of money that could be raised could be huge. Uh, I've seen very, very variable estimates from perhaps just 1 billion euros a year year to perhaps up to 14 billion euros a year and of course as time goes on there's discussion about the scope being be increased so it could increase again and yet uh, at the COP uh, climate talks each year the developing countries say where's the climate finance you promised us now, this does seem to be a uh, an ideal opportunity to create well, well, for Europe and for, for the global north to be able to meet its pledge to, uh, finance, um, low carbon transition for developing countries, uh, and to meet the, the needs of climate justice. Um, that clause from the European Parliament, is it too soon to know whether that might mean some real money? What do you think?
1: um it is too soon to know the uh, also the amount of revenue that is going to be raised through cbam or equivalent um or some equivalent measures is uh dependent on as you said the carbon price um whether it keeps rising or it it goes down at some point and the, also the, the adjustment to reflect the allocation of free allowances, because as we saw, uh, we spoke about it before, the fact that free allowances are uh, reduced, but they still uh, kept until 2034. These, um, amounts that are still given for free to European industries has to be reflected and mirrored in the, uh, certificates that are purchased, um, on the, on imported goods. Uh, to be to to ensure that um European industries and foreign industries are on equal footing, um this shrinks the revenues also, and and therefore also the equivalent amount that should be uh, put together by the EU to for international climate action. Um, so yeah, we'll see and also um would hope that more um, commitment and more action is going to be taken uh, by the European Union in this respect there is a lot to do uh, in Europe but there is a lot of help that Europe can give also to um other countries uh, because we all have to decarbonize
0: if we are hope to uh, tackle climate change indeed Daniel a a lot of listeners to frankly speaking are people in business or around business who Probably aren't dealing with taxation and uh, payments, uh, revenue payments at borders, and and so on. So they 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 won't be day to day dealing with that issue. Others in the company uh, will, and my guess is that quite a few people in business will say, "Oh, here's yet more complication, yet more administration, and administrative burden." That is being put on us, um, and they'll question whether it is going to be effective. Genuine sustainability professionals will, you know, they want sustainability measures to be effective, but they will say, "Is this really the the way to do it?" So, what would be your message to those in companies who are who are our listeners?
1: Um, I think there is a good, um, type of support that is already being provided by the European Commission in developing a good and robust methodology to, um, uh, monitor and verify emissions, which will help, um, companies that are not familiar and or have not done this both within, uh, in Europe because they're not those directly under the emissions trading system and outside Europe because they don't have such a system in place yet. So that is, uh, I think, already a good um, uh, type of support that, that is being developed as we speak. Um, also in, in view of the transitional phase of um, CBAM uh, for the first three years, which you know is uh, just a, a reporting uh, of emissions uh, requirement. Um, and otherwise, um, carbon pricing, for example, on the power and energy sector in Europe has proven effective and is also um, the polluter pays principle is a principle enshrined in our, in our treaty. So I think that um, the infrastructure, the administrative burden is something that can be dealt with for the greater good. Um if the right incentives are set in, in, in place and companies are supported in this endeavor, uh, it can lead to a better outcome and reduce emissions. So it's worth it's
0: worth it. Now, the United States at the moment has not gone down this route. Um, it doesn't price carbon at the moment, but it's decided to subsidize decarbonization by offering tax credits to develop green technologies and green industry instead. Um, Why have they made that choice, to to the best of your knowledge, and why didn't Europe just do that instead?
1: Um, Why did they make this choice? It's possibly because uh, that's what they thought uh, would work uh, better in their environment, in their constituencies. And they're also the, the different type of, maybe of also business culture uh, that the US has. Um, in, in Europe already has an established carbon pricing system it's been operative since 2005 and has proven to work uh, for the industrial and power sector and let's not forget that this is not only um, a providing an incentive for uh, investment private investments in cleaner technologies but it, it is also a very important um, fundraising system um in Europe because the revenues that are raised through ETS have uh, make a big um or significant amounts uh, of revenue that can be reinvested uh by member states and um uh, dedicated to funds uh within the EU so as a matter of fact the, the European Union is doing both it is pricing carbon and then recycling its revenues towards industrial innovation, um, cleaner production processes, um, renewable energy, um, and and therefore also investing and and supporting energy-intensive industries in their decarbonisation process.
0: And of course, some people might say that there's a bit of protectionism built into the debates in the US as well, Um, uh, and I have noticed, by the way, there, there, there are, um, discussions within the US Congress of perhaps setting up their own CBAM. So it will, it'll be interesting to see whether that might emerge there. I, I, when you said earlier, you were convinced that this isn't protectionism and take a country like India, for example, that is threatening to take the European Union to the World Trade Organization and formal complaint. The European Commission is absolutely itself adamant that this meets international trade rules why are you so convinced that this is not part of a protectionist agenda
1: um I'm not a trade lawyer and I am don't know the uh, all the uh, technicalities of the WTO uh, procedures but I have followed the, the the process to draft and design the carbon border adjustment mechanism since the very very beginning. And I saw that the European Commission has put a lot of effort and work to make it as compatible as possible with the WTO rules, including the fact that um, the European Commission has been heavily lobbied by many industrial trade associations to include some form of rebates uh, on exports for their export productions. And the European Commission has always refused to include any of those because it would not be uh, it would not pass the WTO test, in a sense. Um, they have um, kept while keeping the the free allowances even in lower amounts. They have adjusted and so uh, they will adjust also the price of CBAM certificates to reflect this. So everything is in a way to. Um, I' I've, I've seen from, from the design of this regulation the the way of taking the emissions trading system as it is in Europe and putting it exactly the same type of price structure and and system on the goods that are imported so to put every put all production on equal footing and then and for this reason uh it, does not um, seem a protectionist
0: um, policy. Indeed, we're, we're moving towards the, the latter part of the podcast, and you say, can I ask you a couple of more, more personal questions? Um, it, your your job is not just the the initial trading scheme and the the CBAM, but you you lead for carbon market watch on. The promoting pathways to decarbonization of industry. So that's a big picture target that you work on. And I just wonder for our listeners, whether it's Europe or whether it's the world, how far are we along that pathway? What would you say?
1: Um, yeah, it is a very, a very interesting uh, topic and also very hard sometimes. We have different pathways depending on the energy intensive industries that we look at. There are some for which solutions are already ready, av- readily available. There are some others that are much harder to, um, to support and to which emissions are much harder to, to reduce, um, so I would say on depends a bit on the sector as well. Um, so one thing that I that I think would give me hope and gives me hope in my job uh, every day is the fact that the the net. The conversation is very different also with industrial stakeholders today as it was even just uh, five, uh, ten years ago. There is a common commitment to climate neutrality by 2050, even if by 2050 is probably not early enough. Uh, but um, there is more commitment uh, and more effort uh, put also by um, put forward by industrial players uh, in Europe than there was uh, before. There is more awareness that something must be done. Um, then there are also there has been a lot of change uh, and political will through the European Green Deal and the Fit for 55 package. Um, so it's. Uh, there's been a lot of action, um, lately and uh, industrial decarbonization remaining, while remaining a very uh, difficult endeavor as certainly more momentum. What I hope is that uh, the fear brought about uh, by COVID and and the uh, energy crunch because of the Russian attack on Ukraine are not going to make our people and our policymakers step back. Uh, but uh, the fight for climate change uh, needs to continue and uh, industrial decarbonization is one of the main uh, causes of climate change, so we need to uh, also keep supporting and keep um, regulating um, emissions uh, for uh, our energy and intensive sectors.
0: And that hope that you talked about, that we can help uh industry and our economies transition to low carbon uh, and to net zero uh um what was it that first brought you into the broad environmental movement and tackling environmental issues think back to where it was in your life or career uh, uh that brought you into it and that perhaps now what would you say to that person with all the experience and the knowledge that you've got now
1: well, I would say that it was um, it it was a very good fight to join. It is frustrating at times, but I think it's a very important very important cause. Um, I started because um, with my friends we were uh, looking at certain. Um, yeah, developments and uh, thinking what what contribution we could make together, this was back at university. We were still kids. Um, and then uh, I decided to yeah to join an organization that could actually make a difference. And in our niche topic, I think uh, we still try to sort we try to to bring. Um, some fresh ideas so we try to talk with different stakeholders we try to shape legislation for um, to achieve uh, good results and even if it sounds very technical it is some there are some of the pieces that are some of the most influential um for a great um, amount of our emissions so yeah we, we hope to continue and and uh, and yeah. And, and, and work more and, and try to, to achieve more uh, and be successful in, in our cause.
0: Well, it is a cause. And uh, uh, the, the youthful enthusiasm that many of us had, we're trying to nurture and maintain in this technical work. And a lot of our listeners are doing that technical work for sustainability, but share what you say about hope for the future. Thank you to Agnese Ruggiero. Sadly, we have come to the end of our podcast, but we would like to invite all of our audience to send us your feedback. Email franklyspeaking at frankbold.org and please share this conversation. You've been listening to Frankly Speaking, the Frank Bold podcast on responsible business. Watch out for our next episode and find out more about Frank Bold's Responsible Companies section on Twitter and on LinkedIn. Thank you again to NDEZ and to all of you for joining us. Do join us next time and goodbye.